My mum died when I was younger and it made me realise the value of life and how easily and quickly it can be stripped away. So I want to enjoy every single day. So I try when I go to bed at night and think about three things I did well today, three opportunities for tomorrow and one thing that made me giggle. And genuinely, if that hasn't happened, I will go downstairs and try, try and make it happen. Everyone has ambitions. To start their own business, to lose weight, to launch a podcast. But for most of us, those ambitions are still on the to-do list. We'll get round to them one day. But some people overcome procrastination. That thing you'd love to do? They knew the risks, but said screw it and just did it anyway. On the Screw It Just Do It podcast, I'm on a mission to answer one simple question. How do you get to where you want to be? Joining me are inspirational entrepreneurs, sports stars, entertainers, and authors who took the lead. They became the people they wanted to be. They did what they always wanted to do. In this series of revealing, challenging, and often surprising conversations, they might just help you discover how to do it too. Welcome to another episode of Screw It, Just Do It with me, Alex, and my very special guest today, Chemi Olcott. Widely regarded as one of Britain's greatest ever skiers, appearing at four Olympic Games, being the only British female skier ever to win a World Cup run. Chemi ranked as high as eight in the world and became British national overall champion and impressive seven times. She received her first ever set of skis 18 months, began racing aged three. Joined competitive racing at eight and never looked back. However, her run to the top was not without its challenges. Having injured herself, I need to check this one, you know. Broken over 45 bones in her body. Yeah, ridiculous. Some people know when to stop, don't they? (laughs) (laughs) Clearly not you. (laughs) Starting with a broken neck at age just Mm. 12. And you had two vertebrae. Yeah, you can see it, actually. I've got a long top on, but we are. We are. Can you see that? Can you see my neck's like fused together there? It's got a big lump there. Yes. You see, so yeah, that's yeah, where yeah. my bones are fused together. Wow. Yeah. And then I've got my lovely leg here, which you're probably going to talk about. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. So I saw a friend yesterday at school run, who I've seen every day for four years. And he said to me, what's wrong with your leg? I was like, that's, my, that's my broken that. leg. Yeah. It's like, I've had that for 10 years. It's been coming out of my body for wow. 10 years. It'll never heal. So... <laughs> I think it's really oh. negative when you're coming back from an injury and everyone every day says, how's your pain? How's mm. your leg? I don't want to think about the crash all the time. I don't want to yeah. think about my body having to go through this, you know, painful experience. And so I was like, right, OK, I know you need to ask me because you're trying to keep your eyes out for me and make sure I'm good to go. But I, I don't want to call it like pain. So and, and when I get swelling in the ski boot, this is it looking uh, good, but it looks like a golf ball. Yeah. Like it, it swells a lot. Okay. So I'm like, right, Nick Felder. Now I'm sure the <laughs> blokes are, he, I'm sure he's a great guy. I don't really know him, but he was the first like famous golfer that yeah, I ever likewise. knew. So I was like, yeah. Nick, I'm going to call it Nick. So this is Nick Faldo. Wow. And I think Nick Faldo might be a great guy, but I just don't want him to be part of my life anymore. So I, <laughs> my mission in life now is to get rid of Nick from the right. front of my shin. Okay. He, he's got things to do, places to be. He doesn't need to be hanging out on my no. leg anymore. And how do you get rid of that? So actually, oh my God, we've gone straight in it's here. Good. But I, I had pain every day for 10 years during my last Olympic cycle. I was 
pill popping. Mm. I was having a huge amount of paracetamol every single day. It got to the point where I couldn't sleep either because obviously skiing is all about shin pressure. In yeah. order, or learning skiing also is about shin pressure. To, to have control and to stop, you have to push on the front of your shin. Mm. So I have to push through this break right. a lot of the time. And, um, and it's sore. Otherwise, I was compensating. You start compensating at 90 miles an hour skiing, you're, you're going into the injury zone. Yeah. Um, so I would take whatever I could to perform and numb the pain. Now, if I'm right. numbing the pain, I'm also losing my senses on the skis. It was not good, but it was the only way I knew how to get to my last Olympics. And then actually, the first year that I became Leap Centre of Ski Sunday was the pandemic. And they said to me, we're going to film. We're going to shoot this somehow. We're going to get you out to Switzerland. We're going to do this like aspirational program for people who are stuck in the UK. Um, but you've got seven weeks on your own, solar bubbling. So I couldn't even see my other presenter indoors. I couldn't see I my kids. I remember that. Yes. So it was amazing because yeah. it was my dream to work on this show. But yeah. I was going in the first year with, with this very strange situation. I was like, right, okay. What can I do? I'm a mum. I never have time to myself. I've got seven weeks alone. And your kids were really young. Yeah, they were really like, young, yeah. three and one. So I was like, I'm right. going to get rid of my leg pain. I'm going to address this pain. Um, so I started taking CBD. I found this company that hasn't got any THC in its products because I've got that like athlete mentality. Like I still might be drug tested, mm. which is absolute nonsense. But I'm, you know, passionate about what I put into my body. And I was like, right, I'm going to find something. I'm going to do a yoga program for pain. And really annoyingly, but amazingly, it took me two weeks and I woke up without pain for the first time in 10 years. Seriously? And it was just, it was game changing for me. I, I got used to living in pain. Yeah. Um, and I think people in pain do, you know, with, you know, when you've gone, body's gone through trauma, you're like, okay, this is just going to be part of it. Mm. And I just dulled my senses for so long. And then I found that taking CBD overnight, I had this like natural anti-inflammatory effect. Yeah. And I woke up and, and my swelling was gone. So for two weeks T taking it took CBD. Two weeks. And doing you this like yoga program. And, yeah. and a yoga program. Yeah. As well. And now it's been, Whoa. you know, four years of everyday, you know, habits, morning and evening, taking CBD and, and I don't feel pain. I mean, it does sometimes swell. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it was amazing and, and kind of frustrating. But obviously as an athlete, CBD, you know, there, there is a grey area there. Mm. I would never have done anything illegal. Yeah. Um, but I just want people to know the message that there are avenues out there. And that's why I'm ice bathing at the moment as well. That was going to ask you about it's that. It's so good for my body. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. The, the shock of um, putting yourself, submerging yourself in a cold ice bath mm. and the endorphins you get after, the mental state of having to stay still when every part of your sense is going, this is crazy, this is ridiculous, this is cold, what are we doing this You're for? resisting, you're yeah. resisting. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then you finally like melt into it actually. Mm. Um, but yeah, so there's certain like management of pain that I've learned now um, that I think if I'd done this 10 years ago, how yeah. good could I have been? But at least I found it. Some people never find pain-free living. And a couple of questions. That One, you, you definitely need to speak to George and Dom um, from 4 or 5 because uh, ex-England and Welsh. Yes, they've, they've got, what's theirs called? 4 or 5. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. I've been, since I interviewed George in January, I've been taking... Like the CBD, yeah. And like when they founded the company, the story yeah. was we were both lying on massage beds and we counted how many injuries broken. we had between they were broken. us. Yeah, yeah. yeah I've, I've looked into that story. And then it was looking into yeah. one that didn't have the THC yeah, and yeah. was considered legal. Yeah. And then every all the brands were American, but they obviously 
given their network of, of athletes mm. as well, they're yeah. like, let's start one of these in the UK. Yeah, no, they've done really well. They're and I think really it's really well. important. I mean, I don't mind where people get it from or who they get it as long as they address their pain. They, yeah. People who are living in pain think that that is their future, but it doesn't mm. have to be. And interesting to know then, because I've only discovered like cold water therapy since lockdown by going down to the beach, to, you know. Yeah. Um, Sandbank. Freedom. Yeah, total freedom. <laughs> literally the only idiots on the beach. Yeah. And I was doing it. Um, everyone had like a different reason to do it you know some people for their mental health yeah um for me it was i was training for my first marathon yeah. and it was just pain relief like you yeah. say as an athlete then had you used ice baths for years or do you only just discover them relatively recently yourself i remember every olympic cycle team gb have the mac daddy of accommodation in the Olympic Village. It's something right. that you're not used to for the four years in between. And that's when I first got into ice therapy because they had it there for the bobsleigh okay. guys. Because okay. they were all come from an athletic sprinting background yeah. where ice therapy is huge. Um, so got into it then. Um, and then when I was ranked eighth in the world, unfortunately there wasn't enough funding at the time. So I joined the Canadian ski team. So for the last eight years of my life, I skied with the Canadians and then the Norwegians. Ah, I didn't know that. Um, right. So I paid into their programs. I raced right. for Britain, but it meant I had teammates and I had more support than if I had a private program yeah. and the Canadians were really into ice therapy so we used to do it a lot um, and I, I think it's kind of crazy because my body likes the extremes you know I love if I've got period pain I love the heat mm. but if I've got like body muscle pain I, I just think the cold therapy is amazing yeah. um, game ready was a big part of my life you've probably seen that's the ice compression thing yeah. you know it's an amazing part of very expensive kit that has mm. compression and ice um, and I reacted very well to it so but I, I don't like the cold in England this is so weird because all the locals cold, are like oh god you, you're saying this is cold I'm like yes but when I'm in the mountains I'm prepared for yeah, it yeah yeah <laughs> so yeah, yeah. I'm surprised mean, you haven't got like then um like a barrel sauna out on the uh, on the deck there. Oh, that would look nice. For the heat as yeah. well. Not just to look nice, I mean for the heat. No, I, I think infrared sauna <laughs> would be the way to go. Yeah. I really think that's an incredible... I, they are sometimes cool. in town I do the cryotherapy. Yeah. And I think that having the infrared and then the cryo and then the... Although the, the, the thing with cryotherapy that really upsets me and puts me off is... So you do this... Cryotherapy is very cold ice chamber. It's unbelievable, It's yeah. like two minutes That's at right. minus 180, very dry cold. Mm. So th what you do to prepare your body is you go for an infrared sauna for 30 minutes. Then you go on a vibration platform. Okay. But you have to be naked, okay? <laughs> Everything's jiggling around. Oh my god! And the one I went to has a mirror on the back of the door, and I had to face the back because oh, I, there was an infrared thing. So I'm facing this mirror, and then it defeated the object of it because I'm trying to tense my body so I look better when everything is wobbling. And yeah. I was like, guys, just a little bit of feedback. Never put a mirror in front of a vibro platform when you have to be naked. Yeah. I mean, I'm body That's confident, great but feedback. that was terrible. That is hilarious. <laughs> I love how he just dived straight in. So. Loads of questions just from that initial uh, <laughs> response, but uh, I'd love to know because we talked about this earlier. You know, screw it, just do it. Moments that yeah. took you, you know, from a path you were on to to a different path, and it's very much you know people who spend their whole lives wanting to do something, yeah. but procrastinate the hell out yeah. of it, and never yeah. get to do yeah. it. Whereas someone like yourself who had their dream job, their dream lifestyle, and hopefully you're doing another version of that now with, yeah. you know, Ski Sunday presenting and all the other amazing things you were, you were telling me about, which we will get into, including e-foiling near me in a couple of days. <laughs> yep. But, um, yeah, tell me any moments or a moment. Yep. First, I want to celebrate you and this epic podcast because big passion I have now in retirement is to get people to go out there and take a risk and make a change. And everyone lives in fear of that. Mm. You know, change innately is something that we don't know how to handle because we don't know if we can personally develop to handle that change. So we 
we live within ourselves. Um, and the reason I've started with that is because this is something that I'm passionate about as well, because for eight years of my ski racing career, I skied within myself. So I was an incredibly talented youngster. When I went to World Cup, I was fit, I was healthy, and I had a great team. So Clive Woodward has picked me out as a one to watch. I had this huge support network of, of professionals there to make me be my best. But at the end of the day, it was up to me in that start gate. And I got into a very dangerous platform where I performed and chose to perform 80%. I couldn't ski 100%. I couldn't be my best continuously for over eight years um, because I, I was so scared that if I gave my all and didn't win, still didn't win, I'd have to admit to myself and all these people who'd invested in me, not just my family, but all this staff, these coaches, these incredibly talented people, that I just wasn't good enough. So I found this dangerous platform to perform 80%. And I kept 20% of my best in my back pocket to self-validate why I wasn't winning. So when I got to the bottom of a run, right. instead of taking ownership of it, I was like, okay, it was good. It was, it was good enough to be the best in Britain on the world stage. It was okay. I was top 20 in the world, but I couldn't give my best. I was had this fear of failure and fear of letting all these people down. So, so I, I chose to underperform for eight years. And then I put myself in the start gate one day. A little background to this, just for people who don't know ski racing. It was sold in World Cup. Um, men and women race the same track. It's a gnarly, gnarly race. It's up in the glacier. There's no oxygen. It's like always very, very challenging first race of the season. And you only get a second run in alpine skiing if you're top 30. And I was 31st. So we came down. I just had the most amazing pre-season training. I hadn't been beaten. Um, I basically had choked that first run big time. Um, let everyone down. The whole team, we got in the car. We started driving down the mountain. And, and I felt like these there were four grown men in the car who I'd let down like this young girl full of potential had chosen not to be her best and it really hit me and then the phone rang someone had been disqualified and I was back in this race no way you turn up the mountain I inspected the course from the gondola going above it that it's like the least professional thing like I have I coach minis who are 10 years old who would never do that mm. and I was at world cup and that's what I did so I got in that start gate and finally in the weirdest way, because my preparation for this to perform well had been thrown out the window, I was free mm. and I skied without expectation, limitation and pressure. And I was like, right, let's just go. Nothing good can happen from this. And that's the run that I made history and became the first British ski racer to win a run in a World Cup, which right. has now been smashed through with Dave Riding, who's just a legend. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I, I set the pathway to believe that Brits could do it. And I did it in mm. front of 40,000 Austrian fans. And they were Amazing. who's this Londoner <laughs> beating our girls? Yeah. Um, well, they didn't have a Cockney accent at all, so I don't mean None of the Austrians did, no. Um, but that was my moment. That was my mm. screw it. And, and the skiing was so imperfect. Uh, a very strong characteristic that I have for success is also my very much my limiting, and that is my search for perfection. Mm -hmm. I've always wanted to be a perfectionist. Right. I, I want people to see the best in me. I'm a people pleaser. I tick every box. So I, but then I chose a sport like skiing, which is all about risk and pushing yourself out your comfort zone, um, which is more, instead of the search for perfection, that's more the search for excellence because it's like a personal growth. It's a continuously evolving um, situation to be in. So that run, I mean, I did the whole of the steep on my inside ski. That is yeah. not written in any book that on how be, to ski. Your muscles have been screaming. But well. I was just fast. I was yeah. like messy and fast and letting it go and that was my screw it let's do it and and I got to the bottom it was the weirdest thing because I was so happy and I stayed in the leader's box for so long and my team came down and they were all chilled about it and I was you 
no, I was throwing my toys out the pram. This is it. I've done it. This is my moment. But it was really nice that they weren't matching my emotion because it they knew it was in me. Mm. They were like, oh, yeah, this is just another day. You've just done yeah. it. You know, you just delivered. And so that was massive for me. And unfortunately, after my, you know, screw it, let's do it, my life could have changed and that could have been Olympic glory and everything. Mm. But with that philosophy to push yourself in ski racing 100%, there's such a thin margin between success and complete disaster. Yeah. I broke my ankle two weeks after that run. Right. And this is when my injuries happen. So yeah. having spent eight years of my life healthy, skiing 80%, mm. I then pushed my limit had the most amazing satisfaction in my life, but I was either winning or in a helicopter. Right. Like there, was, there wasn't any gray area. Mm. So it, it's a hard one, hard pill to swallow because yeah. what could have happened? But actually I, I learned more from dragging myself up from all of those injuries that you talked about than, yeah. than any medal anyone put around my neck. And when you kind of reflect back on that, was that like the perfect run that you ever did? It was the perfect run because it was so bloody imperfect. Yes. It was so free. I think it was, I've got a big family and I just wanted to prove myself. Um, and I really want to do what I'm told to do because I invest so much time into myself that if some professional telling me to do something, I will do it. But it ended up me trying to tick so many boxes that I became this mechanical clog instead of this eagle willing mm -hmm. to fly. And there are some sports that if you do that, if you took every box, you know, power ratio sports, you're going to be the best in the world. So maybe I should have done one of them, but I love skiing. Oh, that's in interesting though, isn't it? And and wh what's your first memory of skiing then? If you like, you're not going to remember like 18 months getting yeah. your first skis or, or th three years old, but yeah. do you have a first memory? Well, Can you... I don't know if this is my first memory or I've been talking about it so long, yeah. but I won a race when I was when I was three years old. I did my first race at three and I've got this teddy upstairs with a medal and I won it. And, you know, for years in interviews, I've told everyone that I won this first race when I was three. I was like this child prodigy. And my dad finally outed only about five years ago. He's like, you got to stop telling people that. Right. I'm like, well, what do you mean? He's like, well, it's a complete lie. You didn't win the race. I was like, well, I've got this medal. And, you know, that, that inspired me I've my whole career. I was like, <laughs> and he's like, yeah, everyone under the age of five got a teddy. Oh, and I said, look, man. look, I must have been fast. Come on, look, I went to four Olympics. And he's like, no, no, you weren't fast at all. And I was like, come on. He said, you stopped to give me a kiss on the way down. Like my dad was videoing and then with the big cameras and I come over and I give him a big schmooze. And he's like, you're in a race. Get focused. <laughs> I'm three years old. <laughs> So anyway, so so I don't know if I remember that, but I re I feel like I've talked about it so much that I don't know where the memories start and yeah, yeah. the reality yeah. comes well, let's in. Let's say your first memories are around like three and four, aren't they? Yeah. So it, I'm going to pretend I remember it and I remember winning, so. <laughs> <laughs> You'll stick with that story till you die. <laughs> It'll be um, on her grave. She thought she won. Look at this teddy. <laughs> and is it, um, or was it something like becoming a professional skier? When were you first aware of wanting to mm. be that? Um, so I loved tennis as well as a kid and I wanted to be a tennis player in the summer and a skier in the winter. And I was like, I'm going to make summer and the winter Olympics and not realising how much of a dreamer I was being. <laughs> but I, I, do, I remember having a dream and I, and I have evidence of this when I was around six years old where I dreamt of winning the Olympics in skiing. Okay. And the whole thing, like I was on the top of the podium, there was the Union Jacks there. It was, it was just a massive moment for me of pure happiness and satisfaction. And I remember coming down and telling my parents and they said, right, you, you should write, write your dream down and draw pictures of it. And I was like, I don't really get it. They're, very, they're athletes, my parents, so they got this. Yeah. And then I said, well, why do I need to do that? And I said, well, if that's your dream, it's going to be a really hard roller coaster ride to get there and there are going to be some really tough 
moments at the bottom mm. when you're injured and you're hurt and you're not delivering. But if you remember the purity that you had at this, obviously they didn't say it in this, this manner. <laughs> How eloquent. <laughs> I, know, I was very intellectual when I said But then, you know, I kept revisiting that when mm. I faced hurdles and went, okay, the dream started from a passion and, you know, a love of the mountains. Yeah. That's, that's where it started. And that is where it kept me going. That's oh, interesting. And I remember like chatting to, we were talking about Jay Morton before and he was saying to me, I just love being in the mountains. Yeah. And, like, when I just came back, I was just, again, you, you know, you're obviously there very often, but for most people to do it like once, twice, three times yeah, a year, it's like, you get there and you're just like, I feel like I'm at home. But I think that's why I can keep like jumping ahead. The reason I retired was because I wanted to keep going after Sochi and I had a mm. crash in the World Cup after Sochi and I went and saw my surgeon. He said to me, listen, I did everything I could to get you in that start gate of your Olympics in Sochi. But I want to let you know the risk now you're taking. If you, so my, my, my bone here will, will never heal. Right. So if I break my leg now, they will have to take my leg away. I do not have any So that's got bone. metal plate. It's got metal yeah. plate. I've got, so I've got a 15 inch metal nail down the bone marrow of this right leg. So yeah. that's how I weight bear through that metal. Yeah. Um, if that, if I break that now, then that leg's gone. And he's like, you're sacrificing the rest of your life in the mountains, the rest of the passion that you wow. have, not just for racing, but for the mountain life. And it was really good to have someone, no, it sounds bad, sinister, take your dream away. Because I was so focused and I would have kept going because I love it and I love being an athlete that actually someone's saying that I was jeopardizing my, my health and my life. Yeah. You know, I want to be 80 and ripping around on the slopes. Like, I love it. <laughs> yeah. That was, that was just really, it was really helpful for me to transition away from being a racer because yeah, I define myself by being Shemi yeah. the ski racer for my whole life yeah. and I've got this really quirky name so I didn't really have to tell anyone who I was if I said Shemi the ski racer people people got it yeah. if they knew the sport personal brands before they were personal yeah. brands exactly I know I've got to say savvy way ahead of your time um interesting like again uh, we're talking about Nick Faldo before but talking about golf like and having seen Tiger Woods like come back from like serious yeah. injury away from the golf course yeah. I mean that was a similar um, accident as I had actually yeah I was going to ask you that yeah. okay and to see you know him kind of at his age but try and come back in and play and clearly the body is saying no what, at what point do you want someone to make that decision for you then when when you're sacrificing your health yeah I think if you know going to the Sochi Olympics I skied for four minutes before I got in the start gate at that Olympic Games that is nothing because I'd broken my leg three times in the preceding four years I had hardly any race experience I came 19th I was 1.8 off the lead and I was buzzing I was like I've got this even though I'm compensating and I can't push against my right leg and I would have kept going but Mm. but and it's not always about being competitive and this is very hard for me to say because I spent my life trying to win um, and maybe not winning, you know, not fulfilling my potential. But actually, that last Olympics I went to, I'm po- probably more proud of that 19th than any of the better results I achieved because I knew I couldn't win. Right. I was skiing with this massive impediment, mm. but I was still having the confidence to go out there and give it a go and charge and go. That's inspirational to me, is going, yeah. right, it's not about the victory. It's about the journey, you know. I know that that's yeah. cliche, but it is. It's about putting yourself out there even though you might fail my motto is i i never lose either i win or i learn yeah and i learned a hell of a lot yeah after that decision i made for my screw it moment yeah. in solden i learned so much more than... and what, what part of your career was that that when you say that about those eight years you were going at 80 yeah. yeah what part of your career was that remind me
you enjoy listening to podcasts and you feel inspired to start your own, you can get a copy of my free podcast launch checklist by going to podpreneur.co.uk forward slash launch checklist. And if you'd like the hands-on help and support of myself and my team at my podcast agency, Podpreneur, we've been producing podcasts with purpose internationally since 2019. Just drop me a line about your podcast idea to alex at podpreneur.co.uk. But if you prefer to do it all yourself, but with my guidance, you can join the waitlist for my upcoming podcast academy by going to podpreneur.co.uk forward slash academy. So that was when I became a senior athlete. Okay, um, so at the beginning. At the beginning for mm, those eight years. Okay. And female athletes can succeed in that area. In fact, they, most of them are in that time, in that age. Right. And the first year I went on to international fizz, I was ranked second in the world in my age. You know, I had this huge trajectory of going to, to win World Cups and then I didn't deliver. I wasn't the postman I wanted to be. You weren't the postman that you wanted to be. Wow. Um and do you are you are you competitive? You one of these people now that you were super competitive then. Do you carry that into every other area of your life? Talking about racing this Friday. Am I right? competitive? Um, yes, everyone will say yes, but I think it's more I'm willing to try my hardest, and a lot of people aren't. Like yeah. I will put everything on the line to be good at that. Mm. You know, I won't go into anything and dip my foot in the water. I will jump in. Like yeah. that's what life is for me now. If I said yes to something, I'm stubborn enough to go through with it, I will jump in and try as hard as I can. Now, that doesn't mean that I believe I'm going to win, but it means that I'm going to push myself out of my comfort zone and learn a new skill. And I think it's really important to still do that. So at 40 last year, um, I learned to skateboard. And my kids also learned to skateboard. They're six and four. And it was really important to me that they saw me fail at something. Because so often being a parent, we want our kids to see us succeed. Actually, they had learned nothing from that. They mm. learn more than seeing you fail and pick yourself up. And I was really crap at skateboarding. Like they saw me fall over. I had all those like scars over my knees. I mean, I looked like a complete idiot trying to learn. And then one day I got it and they ran over this field like, you've done it. You kept going and look, you've done it. And it was so good for them because when I try and get them to wake surf or ski or snowboard and they're falling over, now they're going, oh yeah, mommy fell over That's loads. an amazing life lesson for them yeah, to actually But we witness. rarely do that. We're like, oh, we want to show our kids that we're successful and happy. And, and, yeah. and you know, I'm, I'm warts and all. Like, I'll cry in front of my boys when they've <laughs> turned on the kind of force that I can't handle. I, I'm not mm. afraid to show them that they've affected me in that kind of way. And I think it takes a lot of confidence to do that. But, um, but it's massive for young people because yeah. young people now are so scared of failing. Yeah. I've also done some terrible parenting with them, if I'm honest. So <laughs> That's I, good to hear. Because I want them to learn to ski by falling over to push themselves yeah i bribe them and i give them a sweet when they fall and if they lose two skis when they fall they get two sweets now <laughs> this this, this just yeah. means that they've got massive massive amount of confidence and low skill and they are nightmares <laughs> on the slope and they're trying to lose two skis the whole time but i think it's so important for young people to go you're gonna fail in life you know these these schools that <laughs> that don't celebrate success and yes. it's so dangerous because yeah. if you're a young kid and you're not learning how to make mistakes and take risks and to pull yourself up then what, ha what happens when you go for your driving test yeah. and you fail and they're like oh no no i don't fail yeah no well oh i don't get it but it's magnified isn't it because because of social media smartphones yeah. and you see the lens of the perfect yeah perfect yeah life. and i fall into that a lot like mm, it's really important 
for me and I really have to try and say, okay, my kids aren't smiling all the time. This is, I lost one of my sons on uh, Saturday, Wisley, 40 minutes. Oh. I haven't actually posted this yet. This How is old? me trying. So he's six years old. Six year old. Okay. And this is something I really need to post, but it's it's a failure on my part and it was dangerous and it was the worst 40 minutes of my life. And oh, I've no. had a huge amount of pain. Um, but this 40 minutes, I mean, it was, it was, and it was magnified almost by the fact that when I found him, he was totally fine and he hadn't even been looking for us because I had <laughs> taught my sons to be, I mean, he, he wasn't just unaware. He was actually in a fountain at Wisley where he'd seen some wish money and he was putting it in his pockets. I mean, the guy, the boy was stealing and then lying to me, <laughs> but he was just so independent, which is great that I've given him that quality trait. Yeah. But I don't know how to handle that. I don't know how, you know, how to rein him in without teaching him that the world is his oyster and that he should go out there and mm. charge. But I had a horrendous... Anyway, and I, and I must post about it because yeah. it's really important. But at the same time, I, I failed as a parent. Like it was my fault that I lost him because I chose to let him go down this path, literally. And in 30 meters, I would meet him together because yeah. I think he needs to explore the world. You, sh you should definitely post that because every parent, as a parent myself, can totally relate to yeah. that. And I remember my, my eldest, Evie, and I think she must have been, I don't know, four at that age, Bournemouth Sevens Rugby Festival, like, you know, 15, 20,000 people. Like, and it is every parent's worst nightmare. You yeah. Know, suddenly, yeah. Where, is Evie I mean, it was, it was also, it was like 40 minutes where I hated humanity because I didn't understand why no one had found my son and was telling someone because I had, there were radio people out everywhere. But the reason is because you're not going to look at a happy little boy nicking money from a fountain and think he needs help. No. Like, he looks like he's having a great time. Yeah. Whereas if he'd been panicked and screaming, everyone would have helped him. So I'm like, yeah. oh gosh, how do, how to man how do we manage kids? Well, again, there's no, there's no oh. training courses, there. there's no, no. training for it. So NCT should keep going until they're 18. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 100%. I need community support. <laughs> um, but interested to know, what's your attitude to risk like then? Uh, risk is imperative. We need to find risk. We need to, I mean, that, that's the kind of failure thing, right? Without risk, we never fail. We need to find our boundaries and, and push them sometimes. Because otherwise we're living within ourselves, within our means. We're not yeah. progressing as people. You're 80%. And that's 100%. what we found post-pandemic is everyone, you know, risk got taken away in the pandemic. So everyone became comfortable with life. And now it's very hard to get comfortable people to make a change yep. and take risks. Yeah. So that is something that is really important. Find your 100% and it's going to be uncomfortable. It's going to be difficult. It's going to be challenging. But those moments when you drag yourself out are the moments you find out how great you can be. Yeah. No, agree, agree, and I've, you know my listeners would be sick of me talking about this, but it, it was you know for me one of those moments was was during lockdown, someone like challenging me to the NHS five k. It was like run five k, nominate five people, yeah, pay five pounds. The yeah. next week I decided to do ten k. Yeah, the week after yeah. I did ten oh. miles. The week after I did a half. You were donating marathon. a lot of money. <laughs> donating a lot of money, and then the week after <laughs> I did twenty six miles, Amazing. and I did a marathon. A week you know, later, so five what, within five weeks. Five weeks, yeah, but that taught me so much. About, know, what journey, about what you can do. About what you can do. I literally thought yeah. and believed and still do. Yeah. Well, if I can do that, yeah. I could bloody do anything. Yeah, Absolutely. totally. But then, of course, you have those moments then that you you doubt yourself and you have to, you know, kind of have that as your North Star, I think, yeah. that you, you can achieve that. But doubt and fear, that all that's good. Yeah. Because if, if you're not doing anything new and exciting, you won't feel any of that. So all these people say, I'm scared. Yourself. I'm like, that's great. 
yeah. you're getting you're out of your comfort zone. You know, the amount of times I mentor young athletes and the girls will all tell me straight up, I'm scared. And I'm like, of course you are. You're about to throw yourself down this mountain 80 miles away. I'm not natural. And the boys, I can see they're blocked by fear, but they'll never admit it because they're really? lads and they're not allowed to feel but fear. the girls will. The girls will. Oh, and okay. that, so then I have to tell all the boys about all these times where I, you know, shat my pants and all these things that I've done that I've scared of. And then yeah. eventually they go, oh, is, am I allowed to talk about this? I'm like, yeah. Mm. Yeah. It's like, you're allowed to have fear. In fact, those, and for little kids, it's like they, the nerves in their stomach that then become their dragon wings. But it's their choice. They're getting into that start gate, kind of like the ant uh, fear bubble. You know, you're getting into that fear bubble, but you're yeah. also popping it and getting out of it. Yeah. And that is the moment you go, oh, my God, I've done it. And what would you say? So there you go. This, this is one that I'll, that I'll play to my girls, actually. So they got to the stage now at like 14 and 16 with their skiing that they like refusing to have any more lessons. And they've just got, you know, comfortable, intermediate. The plateauing. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, how do you yeah. get them? Yeah. And it's probably not me because I'm the parent they won't listen to me. But it's like, how do you get them to actually then push themselves yeah. and become better? Because they love it. It's like their you know, favourite holiday. Yeah. Favorite, and, it, and as you get older, and you'll, you'll, you'll know this anyway probably, but we've worked out it's the only holiday you can do as a family. It's amazing, isn't it? That yeah. everyone can do yeah. together no matter what age you are. And you, you get are. different experiences throughout the day. It's Yeah, yeah. So, well, yeah. the first thing towards that is you don't jump down. I mean, I, I don't like these lines, but a double black diamond. Okay, you, you slowly go towards your fear, like you slowly start doing parts of a run that were challenging mm. to you, faces that you never thought you could do. You start halfway down, you just slowly build up because the worst thing you can do in skiing is, or, or in any sports that are slightly dangerous, is to push someone too far out of their comfort zone. They can't handle the fear that becomes debilitating. Mm. So you, you just slowly step towards it. Like you want to feel the butterflies. Yeah. You don't want to feel like the frozen block of, you know, there's no chance I can do this. Mm. Um, but it's, I mean, it's essential. Use you skiing for your girls as a synonymous attitude to life. Like yeah. they have to get out of their comfort zone. Do they want to be 80% of their best the rest of their life? Yeah, you know, if someone says yes to that, then send them to me. <laughs> Boot camp time. Let's, let's do that. And talk to me then a little bit about like the coaching and, and yeah. what you do. And that's... Yeah you uh, as an entrepreneur and this mm. is you and your husband's business yeah um you tell us a little bit about that and what so, kind of age range yeah do you look so when i retired um i got these kind of features on ski sunday and that was great um but i had a lot of time and i, I wanted to dedicate that time to something and i thought right i'm going to go into coaching and i was very lucky that i got a level um, uh, of coaching job very high up like world cup we won our first world cup with the u.s ski team and i remember we had this big celebration and I had literally shown this athlete the direction of a jump and given them the protein. I had not helped mold an incredible performance at all. I felt empty. And yet this is everything that I tried to achieve as an athlete. I'd become a coach and achieved it as part of something a lot bigger than me. You know, I was a mm. tiny, tiny part of that. But at the same time, I was like, this isn't what I want to do. I don't want to work with elite performers. I want to mold amazing young human beings through sport. Like I want to Amazing. use skiing to teach people to fall over and get back up again. I and yes, mm. I might make some Olympians, maybe. But in the end of the day, it's not about that. It's about changing their lives through sport. Yeah. Um, and my husband had retired at the same time from, from World Cup skiing and he'd gone into coaching the British disabled ski team. And he'd seen 
what sport can do and how it could change lives. So we came together and we set up a business called Carpe Diem Coaching. People think it's Shemi Duggy Coaching. but Car- Yeah, but Carpe Diem <laughs> is something my mum said to me all the time. Like, mm. go out there and, and do it and seize it. Um, and our youngest client is six and our oldest is 86. So we do wow. adult performance scouts, which is amazing. how old you can ski to. Yeah. 86. 86. Amazing. Wow. Um, and I mean, these guys are incredible athletes. But um, it, it's, it's about using skiing to... to to teach people the confidence to take risks like your daughters mm. it's a great sport for that because you've got to fall over yeah whether you're learning whether you're pro you've, you've got to push that i still fall over all the time <laughs> me too lots <laughs> of crashes this last season lots of crashes and when, when are you at your happiest now oh i think i i have daily happiness i i try and have gratitudes every single day so I, we were talking about this before my mum died when i was younger and it made me realize the value of life and how easily and quickly it can be stripped away so I want to enjoy every single day so I try when I go to bed at night and think about three things I did well today three opportunities for tomorrow and one thing that made me giggle and genuinely if that hasn't happened I will go downstairs and try try and make it happen really uh, yeah yeah, and I know I there's do certain, that, but not the giggle one. There's certain things that make me laugh, like I can <laughs> YouTube videos of animals doing stuff. Yeah, you know? yeah, every time. <laughs> and things like that. But I just, I think it's really important to still giggle and to, mm. to still have fun every day. And it's different. It's relative. You know, today was I went to the gym and I started deadlifting again. I mean, that's so weird that I did that for my whole life, but my back's not been great since I rafted the Amazon. I just dropped that in there. Though. <laughs> do you like that? Drop that into the ah! combo. <laughs> and today I could do it again and it made me really happy I was like oh my god I'm going to be able to like I love this lift and I can do it again I need to get Jay and you Jay Morton and you together and you go yeah well, when I was at the Antarctic yeah. or when I was in the Amazon when I was over Everest <laughs> I know I don't think I'm that hardcore no that was a midlife crisis I turned 40 and not only did I you learn did, to skateboard and I was like I, I wow. want to do something and I don't want any snow to be involved or any ice right. and so I found this raft race in the Amazon and you make your own raft I mean it's actually it sounds like it was a bucket this moment, but it was a disaster. And I'm not so, afraid to say that. Okay. You know, I sacrificed 10 days away from my kids with my husband who had to come in because we were doing a girl's raft and then two of the girls pulled out. So he had to come, my cousin and our really good friend. And we had to build this raft and we were put on this island with some blunt machete. It was a disaster. We were useless. We were useless. <laughs> you wouldn't have survived. And we didn't see anyone. Like it wasn't a race because we were so slow that <laughs> oh, so we didn't see anyone. But anyway, I mean, I'm sure in time I'll find a reason why I did that other than just to hurt my back. Yeah. We did see pink dolphins and no other racer pink saw pink dolphins because they'd oh. all finished the race every day by 5 p.m. sunset. But we were still going. Hey, you might you might see dolphins um, Friday. Oh, amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Surely they'll hear Toby's the whirring of, of the motor under he's the water. He's been able to like, film them as he's oh, gliding. I'm not going to be focused on that. No, Don't no, no, ha- no, let no. me have any Don't more distractions. No, 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 I've got no, no. training to do. <laughs> Talked about the injuries. How much of a role has luck played? Do you think? Do you think you were you were unlucky, or you, you always just think, think you're you pushed unlucky? Yourself so hard. Is it luck? You're on the my line. injuries. I'm really proud of my injuries. Like every yeah, scar right I have, yeah. I pushed myself. I mm. earned these scars. Yeah, my scarless, like underperforming body for eight years was useless. And now my body that has come through all the net, all the break, all the helicopter rides, that's a good body. And what do you think? I hate it when I do shoots and they try and cover it up. Really? So I'll do, do a photo shoot and they'll want ah. me to be perfect. And they're like, can we, uh, can we, you know. Uh, do anything with that. Yeah. yeah. And I'm like, no, you can't. No, you can't. Good. Don't take my my warts, yeah, yeah, my yeah. war wounds. Yeah, no, I love that. Um, and, and what stage, you, you broke your neck, which you showed us at 11, 12. Um, 
at that age, I've got a daughter who's like just turned 13. What age do you approach fear? What were you like with like, you know, getting back on the slopes? I mean, listen, my neck injury is the weirdest thing ever because I became really popular when I came back with my broken neck. So once I finally got out of hospital in France, because I was allowed to have one person stay inside with me at break time, which apparently is what everyone wants to do. (laughs) People used to bring in cakes to bribe me to choose them. Really? I became so popular. I went to this school with a school uniform, but I used to have to wear this orange and yellow jumper so people stayed away with this my big so listen i remember that as becoming you know relatable and popular whereas before Mm. that i was this crazy driven freak from london who wanted to be a skier i mean at 10 years old i went to new zealand on my own to ski race without a mobile phone at 8 p.m on tuesday with my one telephone card i would walk down to the phone box and call my parents like that's how obsessed i was Mm. and then i cried on the way home so actually my neck break <laughs> my neck break was a way for me to become normal to my peers yeah. and popular. Which Isn't is what right? every kid's trying to crave to do. Yeah, you want to be yeah. normal. Yeah, yeah. You don't yeah. want to stick And out. you want people to bring you cakes yeah. every day. I mean yeah. I did. <laughs> Obviously health and nutrition when I was eleven <laughs> was a little bit lower down the pecking order. All I remember Come. seriously from that is that someone was taking away my time that I could be skiing. Okay. So you were still So it just was like the grass isn't there. greener. Like, I'm not allowed to ski. And you always want to do what you're not allowed to do. Yeah. yeah. So what did I want to do? As soon as I was ready, I wanted to ski you again. You back on it. Okay. Yeah. So there was no doubt in your mind. No. You straight it was so... Do you know it. what? Actually, having my first big injury, being my neck break, meant that everything after paled in comparison and became easier to handle. My, my worst one was my 2010 crash because... I was in my prime and it was a really bad injury and it took a long time to recover. But still, it's not a neck break that I had. No. So everything, I can handle everything. You throw a curveball at you, that young in your life, and take away your biggest passion for life, then you are going to become so obsessed and focused after that no break, nothing's going to pay, nothing's going to get Probably in the way. Probably helped you then in nine Maybe, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure I'd recommend it. <laughs> As a choice. Yeah. And what about somebody, you know, to get to where you got, you know, like eight in the world, for example, what is the difference then? And I suppose this goes for any sport, but to get to a Lindsay Vaughan, uh, Michaela yeah. Schiffer, to, yeah. to get to that 0.001%, yeah, yeah. having coached people and, and seen, mm. experienced it yourself, what do you think? Like, what qualities? I mean, it makes me sound like I have a massive ego if I say a bit of luck. But there is a bit of luck. You know, a, ski, a sport like skiing is about riding the confidence. And like a Lindsay Vonn, I mean, massively inspirational friend of mine. She came back from huge injuries, but always believed that she would win. Right. Whatever she'd been through, year away from the sport, she got in that start going, she's like, I'm going to win today. There's mm. a huge amount of self-confidence, self-belief. Um, and, you know, it's, it's not the technique. Some of the girls who are the best in the world haven't got the best technique, but they've got this freedom to go, this self-belief to charge. Yeah. That's interesting because I, I saying to my to my girls, that, and again, one's a horse rider and one's a dancer and one's just auditioned to, to get into the dance academy. Amazing. Which she, so which they are got. putting themselves out there. Putting they are pushing, out there. Yeah. And they gave, um, they like, you know, put out an email going, we'll let you all know in the next week if you're successful. We got like a text message within an hour going, we'd like to make your daughter an offer. But the, the, I thought, wish you hadn't done that because it's like you don't have to get any GCSEs to get in. We'll take her uh, anyway. You shouldn't have showed her. No, shouldn't have. You should have manipulated the process. So my Damn. parents gave me an ultimatum. They said that if I got four A's at A level, I could become a ski bum for the rest of my life. Oh, really? And I got three A's and a B. 
and life was over. I remember opening that bloody letter Whoa. and it was all over. And then I had my B remark and it Did became you? an A. And would they have done it anyway? Well, wouldn't. of course, of course they would have. <laughs> but for me, it justifies, you know, choosing skiing. I always knew that I had the backup of education. It's so important. It's, it's, it's imperative to, to believe that you have choices in life. Yeah. And actually all these people who give up their lives and go to ski academies from 10 years old, what else have they got? What, what social yeah. skills? What academic skills? Like every, all the eggs are in one basket and that basket is brutal. It's yeah, a yeah. really hard one. And same with acting and so, dancing. So exactly. That's exactly. the thing. You go into a super competitive yeah. industry. Yeah. But I always say, and I, you know, similar to what you said then, is that you, know, you, can, you can get a whole bunch of people who've got the same skill sets yeah. and they've reached the, what makes you different what makes you different yeah and, what and makes that's unique interesting what you say not the most technically proficient no. are necessarily number one two three in the world yeah like i never tried to mm. ski that with the technique that Lindsay tried to ski it wouldn't right. have worked for me yeah even yeah. though she was smashing me in races i was like no i've got to be me but a faster version of me yeah and um what given that it's an individual sport mm. and i guess it's different when you go to an olympics and you're part of a team how many friendships have you kept from yep. your time as a professional athlete? I mean, all of my best friends are girls I ski raced against. Really? Yeah, because it's an incredible environment to grow up in. And, that, and this is why I couldn't make it as a tennis player. I'm a people pleaser. I got to the level in tennis where people were cheating, the neck passes, they were saying really nasty stuff for me, trying to get in my head. Really? And I crumbled. I hated it. I was like, but I want to be your friend. Like, I want to beat you, yeah. but can't we be friends? And, and, and tennis is a battle. It's a war against that person. Whereas skiing, it's so dangerous that you're skiing with and against the mountain. You, you can only control your performance. So if I came down and had a great run and ended up 10th and my friends all won, you, you celebrate them. You pat mm. them on the back because they have gone harder than you today. They found their risk you know, management much higher than you. And so I think you, you create this amazing friendship. Plus, you're traveling around the world all together. I was the only Brit, so yeah. I had to make friends. And it was quite good. <laughs> I quite liked that I was the only Brit because I, instead of just staying with the U.S. ski team, I would talk to everyone. You yeah. know, I made amazing you friendships. You don't just going to speak to the English-speaking no. ones. But also, they get you. You know, these are girls, athletes going on the same journey as you everyone's getting hurt, everyone's tearing ACLs, everyone's yeah. coming back from it. That's not normal for the rest of life. No. And it's true in my experience, like when you mentioned the luck factor, because you know, I've interviewed somebody like, for example, like an Al Barrett from Grenade, who just sold Grenade for 200 million. It's like, you know, there's so many elements of luck yeah. played a part in my yeah. journey. Yeah. It's not just anyone could, anyone could, could have created a carb killer bar or whatever, but the, but the yeah. fact is we've yeah. had all of these breaks. I've yeah. gone against what my board said. My board said, don't launch it. No one's going to buy it. So because I secretly went, made 100,000 bars, put it out into the market, and they all went instantly. So I went back to them and went, Wow. You know, something like that. And, and that takes, like, I mean, that's confidence. That's I mean, 100% unbreakable luck, confidence. confidence, talent. I mean, yeah. talent is, is something that we can all work on. Yeah. But we, you have to have some kind of skill at the beginning, but it's this whole kind of cog around it. I love this cog analogy mm. that there's an area of your life that you need to oil to keep up with the rest of it. And it's not a weakness. It's an opportunity for improvement. Yeah. And if you go in there and you, you tinker with it and then you're like, oh, my God, I'm snowballing downhill, obviously which is a good thing for most people. <laughs> <Yeah. Not me. laughs> um, and what was it like when you made the decision to retire? And that came from speaking to, was it a doctor, a surgeon? Mm -hmm. What was that process like for you? Just that recently interviewed Alex Goode, Saracen's England rugby player, and um, it's a really interesting point in his life. He's 
34 and he said he's absolutely scared shitless about yeah. life after rugby. Yeah. And I was like, what do all you other players talk about? And he's like, nobody talks about it. Yeah. And I was like, at Saracens, you're like probably the most, from the outside looking, the most professionally set up club in, in rugby, you'd think the support systems that are in place. Yeah. But It's funny, isn't it? Because I think at that level, they think that it's it's going to affect the athlete's focus if they think about life after. That's a really But actually what it does is it frees them to be their best right now because they know there's an avenue and a choice after. Um, but it is really scary. I mean, I was really lucky to have been very vocal about like molding my future. Um, but you, you lose who you are. You do. You have to mm. redefine yourself very quickly. How did and you, you do that then? First of all, I, I, I set physical goals was the first thing. I was like, right, I'm going to do this quadrathlon in Scotland. I'm going to do Ride London. I'm going to, you know, do all this stuff to make sure I have daily physical goals because already I knew mentally that would make me healthier. And then, and then I, just, I just said yes to everything and went, yeah. okay, actually, I like this. Oh, I don't like this. I, I, you see so many female athletes rush into motherhood because straight away they can have another hat, yeah. a massive hat, where completely you're responsible for someone else and, and you lose that you know, definition of being an athlete because you don't mm. need it at all anymore. But I didn't want to do that because I, all I'd ever known was ski racing. And I, so I, was, I wanted to explore who I was away from it. Um, and straight away I was like, right, well, I love the mountains. You know, my, my retirement hasn't come because I've lost the passion for it. Yeah. So then obviously then I'm looking at roles in that with coaching and with TV because I like talking. Might notice that. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, right, okay, what, what, where can I go with this? And and I, but I was lucky. I was very lucky. Right place, right time, right gender, should I say? You know, mm. to move into that, to, into that world. Yeah. How much of that journey does does your like team had a say in it when when you retired? Like, you know, your your inner circle, like your your husband, your your closest friends. Were, were there people going? You know, are you confident with that decision? Have you doubted that decision? No, but I'm so stubborn. I mean, right. if they'd said that, it would have just propelled me to jump in. <laughs> but right. my, the, the family thing's quite interesting. Because I had a lot of injuries, they, they did try and have an intervention where they asked me to to stop before Sochi. Uh, okay. Because they were like, look. Okay. And, and it's very selfish existence. Every time I got hurt, I moved in with one of my brothers. My family had to help nurse me back to yeah. health. You don't. They don't get any accolades for that. I'm the one who gets to wear that Olympic start bib, and I'm the one who's there. But there's so much gratitude for all those people who put their life. So when they come together and say, "We think you've had enough," I mean, but I mean, you underestimate the, the passion that that athlete has, and again, that becomes another charging point. No, <laughs> I said I would do this. I'm gonna do it. And when you try to redefine yourself, and you you obviously have loads of opportunities coming away and you say yes to everything. At what point then do you start choosing when to say no to? I haven't learned too yet. Many? You haven't, yeah. No. That took me a long time. Yeah. And then you kind of reframe it, I think, because it's... Yeah. and I'm, yourself too thin. I, I, and also now being a mother, there's the guilt. Am I yeah. around enough? You know, I'm away from Ski Sunday yeah. and then it comes to spring and I'm trying to be too present and I'm running running club at school, which I know nothing about, but I'm like, okay, look, I'm here, everyone. I'm here, I'm here. And I'm like, am I doing this for me or am I doing this for their external perception that I'm a present parent? Um, yeah, I don't know. Okay. And marathons. I've said no to mar running marathons. Have you? Well, my, my, gonna, my yeah. ankles fuse together now. So yeah. what I found doing the quadrathlon, we had to do seven Monroes was when I ran downhill. I was crap at downhill. I could do uphill, but downhill, I don't have enough flexion to absorb the, mm. the terrain. So yeah, so there you go. I said no to something. That's good. That's a start. Yeah. Okay. Um, and just to finish up then, a couple of questions would be, tell me a little bit more about the um, Excel scheme to develop mm. girls' confidence through sport. Because I know like with, with my two, I'm really pleased they've carried it through. Because yeah. 
from what I've heard, it's that kind of age that yeah. a lot of girls yeah. just ditch all sport. Yeah. And there's all the distractions. Well, I got passionate about this actually after London 2012. Um, and I was working in schools around the countries. And I realised that a lot of the young girls were saying, there's no point in me going to my PE lessons. And I thought, well, why not? And it was because they'd seen what happened to like the icons like Jessica Ennis winning, that they had this massive misconception that sport was only about winning. And we only really? celebrated winners because at London we were so successful yeah. that we didn't have time to talk about the stories. Like when working in telly for the Olympics last year, Michaela Schifrin supposed yeah. to go there and win everything. And she didn't. She failed and failed and mm. failed, but was very humble and open and honest about all the everything she was experiencing. So we created these incredible human, real life stories around it. Whereas London, we were so successful, didn't have enough time to talk about athletes who were maybe supposed to win who didn't interview them because we were just celebrating gold medals everywhere. Yeah. So these female pupils went, there's no point in doing sport. So I was like, right, hang on a second. Mm. So I was basically explaining the value of sport in our lives and how important it was. And, and this is because my work with Right to Play, I've gone around the world to some horrendously challenged countries and seen how sport is changing lives and how they use sport to teach kids like imperative life lessons, life and death. And yet in our country, we have the facility to have school sport, but we don't use it enough. We don't reflect after a PE lesson or a netball game on why we've lost, how we can work together as more as a team, how, how the outcome could have been different if we'd done X, Y, and Z, and talk about like the resilience they're building and everything. So that was something that we created, this Excel scheme with United Learning. And it's actually self-sufficient now. So we made leaders in communities, young girls, who then talk about the message for the next generation and, mm. and keep going with it. And that's something that I'm, you know, I'm really proud of that legacy yeah. because I'm evident that sport isn't about winning because I didn't win. And what are you most excited about now with the different opportunities that you're working on? Um, I, I'm, I'm excited about being in my 40s and still pushing myself physically and mentally to, to learn and develop. There's yeah. no cutoff point. Age should be absolutely irrelevant until your body Agreed. completely breaks down. You yeah. have the opportunity to be better and have a different focus and create a change, like keep molding. Like imagine you're in your own movie and you've had a few years of watching the same movie. Make it a new narrative. Go mm. a new direction. And what advice would you give for somebody who... Um, you know, you, you've seen an example like a Dave Riding, for example, and the phenomenal success he's had. Unbelievable, yeah. Um, what would your advice be for somebody who's in the UK, um, they dream of being a professional skier, an Olympic champion? What would your advice be? Well, I think keep the passion. Remember why you got into the sport. It is a hard sport. There's a lot of sacrifices. You know, you can't do it in this country, so you have to spend a long time travelling. But it is the most incredible sport. I mean, I meet athletes all the time who never touch their sport once they've retired. My dream day is to go back and do the sport that I spent my life doing. That's what mountain sport does to you. Yeah. you. You always evolve, you always find new challenges and it's it's the ultimate playground. And last question would be, well, two things. Uh, if people want to connect with you, what's the easiest way? Is it through your, your website, through your Instagram? I think my Instagram, Shemi Ski. Um, okay. I don't be afraid to write to people. You know, if there's any questions, write to me. Or if it's not me, write to people. People think that they're inaccessible. Well, we have yeah. these avenues now to connect with people, left, right and centre, and, and do it. You know, if that, that person's got a little bit of magic that you want in your life, reach out. Love it. And last question I always ask is, if you could recommend somebody um, for this podcast, oh, just do it. who do you think would be a good, screw it, just do it, can Oh, wow, that's... You can get back to me on that one. <laughs> yeah. 
I reckon Millie Knight could be quite amazing. So just staying with snow sport theme. Yeah. Um, she's a visually impaired ski racer, huge amount of success. Um, but she's also, I think, just become a karate world champion in her first ever event. Wow. She just goes out there and never lets her disability um, have any effect on, on her goals and dreams. I mean, I could come back to you with a massive long list because <laughs> I think I surround myself with people who abide by this life yeah. philosophy a lot. Yeah, no, I thought you were a perfect candidate. So, well, thank Walker, you. Thank you very much. If you've enjoyed listening to this episode, can I encourage you to follow the show by clicking the plus button in the top right-hand corner of your screen if you're listening by Apple Podcasts or the follow button on Spotify and other platforms. It means you'll be the first to be notified whenever a new episode goes live. Did you know that nearly half of podcast listeners find a show through searching online? So if you've gotten any value at all, please share this episode with one or more of your friends and make it easy for them to find a podcast you think they'll enjoy. If you'd like to join the Screw It Just Do It community, go to podpreneur.co.uk slash get in touch to sign up to our weekly newsletter and free resources. That's podpreneur.co.uk forward slash get dash in dash touch. That's podpreneur.co.uk forward slash get in touch.